Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 34 of No Wristbands We Drink for Free. I'm Papa Novak, and I am beyond excited about our latest guest. As many of you know, I'm a card-carrying member of the cult of Frank Turner, so I'm stoked to have him on the show. He's currently working on album number 10, and Frank and the Sleeping Souls have a dynamic live show. Mark and I got a chance to talk to Frank about opening for Bruce Springsteen, his upcoming Riot Fest show in Chicago, his Lost Evenings Festival in Anaheim, his thoughts on Jeff Tweedy's songwriting, and much more. A quick shout-out to all my Frank friends. I hope you all enjoy this one. As usual, follow us on Instagram and X at No Wristbands, and check out our No Wristbands We Drink for Free Facebook group. You can also find our great dig-in content on our website, NoWristbands.com. Thanks, all. All right, welcome back, everyone, uh, to No Wristbands We Drink for Free. Uh, this is Papa Novak here with uh, my co-host, Mark Joyner. How you doing, Mark? Um, I'm excited about this one. Yeah, yeah. I'm doing great. We are, we are living the dream today because uh, our guest is uh, the wonderful folk punk UK artist, Frank Turner. How you doing, Frank? Uh, I'm very well. I'm, I'm very happy to be speaking to you guys. All right. Um, in, in, in your honor today, we're going to have two rules. The first of, of course, is don't be a dickhead. Everybody knows that. <laughs> the, the, the second rule, rule though, is uh, if you know any four letter words, you got to use them. Okay. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> um, fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. There we go. Fuck yeah. I mean, I yeah. know some others too, but we'll try and contextualize them. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, like, if you know the answers, sing along. I don't know. Like, <laughs> let's, let's see how we do. All right. Um, f- uh, to, to get started here, um, first of all, everyone, this is a Chicago-based podcast, so we tend to talk about Chicago quite a bit. Second thing is we're recording this on August 1st, but it's not going to be out until September 1st. So just keep that in mind. So the first thing I wanted to talk about is the fact that uh, Bruce Springsteen is playing two shows in Chicago next week. Of course, I'll be there. Um, Frank and I are both huge fans. Frank legendarily has Born to Run tattooed across his stomach. And, and of course, uh, my wife and I spent much of our wedding night with Bruce Springsteen. So, um, but, <laughs> but Frank has, has, has recently done something that very, very few people ever have the chance to do, and that is to open for Bruce Springsteen. Last month, you, uh, you opened for him in Hyde Park <clears throat> in London. So what the fuck was that like? Uh, it was really cool. The show, the show was awesome. We played to, um, it's difficult to say when you're the sport act, but somewhere in the region of about, I reckon between 50 and 60,000 people, Jeez, which wow. is, which is awesome. And not just kind of randomly selected members of the public. I mean, obviously they're people who like Bruce Springsteen. Um, right. so, so that was really cool. And it was a huge honor. And, and as I, as far as we were told, we were asked to be part of the show. Um, I didn't, we weren't allowed anywhere near the e street band. So, uh-huh. um, uh, alas, there was no fraternization. We pretty much played and got told to piss off basically. Um, so, uh, so, uh, there, um, but the, the actual our show was really good. It was really fun. And I enjoyed watching the boss, which I have done many times before. Right, right, right. I know. I know. You said you you were spending a lot of time debating on the set list to see what would go over yeah. with the Frank with the uh, Bruce crowd. So yeah, well, we spent a bit of time working on that, and I chatted to a couple of friends, and which is a thing I don't usually do. I'm usually pretty mm-hmm. adamant about set lists. Like more people have opinions about set lists than I need. <laughs> Should we say, <laughs> generally speaking. Yeah. Um, I mean, and, and it's like the thing about the thing about set this choice, I'm always fine for people to make a request for one of my shows. I mean, I'm never going to promise to play any given given song on a given show, but it's fine to ask. But it's just a bit like I've definitely thought about this more than you. There's right, just no right. possible universe <laughs> in which I haven't thought about this more and indeed have a better read of what's going to work. Sure. Do you know what I mean, because yep. it's, it's it's basically it's what I do all the time, every right. day. Is yeah. is uh, you know, and people are like, oh, it'd be amazing if you play this completely obscure B side that I love and no one else does. And I'm uh-huh. like, it would be amazing for you. But my, <laughs> but my job description is to try and manage more than just you, right. uh, unless things are going very badly and there's only one person in the room, in which case they can hear whatever they want. Um, anyway, but but uh, but in the instance of the Springsteen one, you know, like 
It's, I mean, it's an interesting, interesting to me debate about how much do you tailor what you do to an audience that you play in front of. And there's part of me that wants to be rejectionist and say none. You uh-huh. know, um, <laughs> fuck them. We'll just do whatever. Yeah. Um, but I think that that's there's a degree to which you can be you can slightly shoot yourself in the foot there by sure. with that kind of um, attitude. So I'm not saying that we changed what we did enormously, but it, I guess. One of the things that was interesting about the show for me is that we came into that show off the back of a long run of shows, kind of playing European punk festivals. We did a lot of shows with Rancid this summer, which was really mm-hmm. cool. But the thing about those kind of shows is that quite often your yardstick is kind of things like circle pits and crowd surfing. Sure. And I You're not going to get knew, that at Bruce show. No, it didn't really feel like a circle pit wall of death uh-huh. kind of crowd. <laughs> I mean, there might have been a wall of death, but it might have been rather more literal than yeah. um than it is <laughs> metaphorical if you know what i mean yeah um so you know so we there were, i did a bit of, we did a bit of rethinking but i think it went well i mean a lot of people have said since that they uh enjoyed the show and that they're newcomers to what i do and that's the point yeah. really yeah so i was gonna ask like how do you judge like activating fans like how do you judge the crowd response if it's not like a crowd that's there to see you in that instance like bruce springsteen is is you know been around for 50 years how do you sure. judge that response i mean it's different slightly for different crowds like i say i mean you know at a punk rock festival it, a lot of it's about physical movement but i mean mm-hmm. i don't know it's not it's not the hardest thing to judge in the world to be honest like if you walk mm-hmm. on and you get a smattering of applause and you walk off and get a, a roar of applause it's sure. like sure. you know you just got a little volume meter <laughs> right. Like, right job done kind of thing i mean yeah. we as tom i'm sure you were probably around for some of these but like we cut our teeth in the states supporting i remember we got the tour support for um social d uh, many years ago and like a lot of people were like oh that's a rough one because their crowd are famously kind of uh not a hostile might be too strong a word but reserved i guess people were, mm-hmm. always said Say particular yeah and 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 the thing is i actually think that's kind of bullshit anyway because we just did super well out of that tour but it was kind of helpful that people said that to me because i was like right motherfuckers was like <laughs> you know it was like let's have it let's have it and um you know uh but it was that was a really cool tour because we walked on we were first on and like we'd literally walk on to like no reaction of any kind from the audience <laughs> it wasn't even like a polite smattering of applause it was just like we might as well have been sweeping the stage mm-hmm. and then we'd walk off to a, to a room full of people paying attention and reacting to what we did and so yeah you can re- you can generally speaking you can read the room awesome um, I, I, I will note there's a legendary story from 1974 where um, Bruce was opening for uh, Canadian soft rocker Ann Murray in Central Park, New York, uh-huh. and um, it went predictably badly for her after, <laughs> you know, trying to follow Bruce. <laughs> and that was the last time that Bruce ever opened for anyone. So do you I, see I, any parallels yeah. here? Uh, no. <laughs> well, you know, I know, I know my Springsteen lore and the whole thing about him not being being an opener, or indeed having many openers right. for himself either, which is one of the reasons I feel very fortunate to have kind of been able to get that show because I think the number of people who've opened Springsteen is is low. Right. Uh, I'm not in any way attempting to criticize the boss, but like personally, like it, one of the joys of my life is taking mm-hmm. other bands out on tour. Yeah. Um, Partly to kind of curate a show, partly to help other people out because that's how I cut my teeth a lot of the time. Do you know what I mean? It's sort of, yeah. I like the idea of music being a kind of relay. Do you know what I mean? Where you yeah. pass the baton to, to people. Um, uh, you know, I think that's kind of cool. And and and, and it, I mean, to be honest, I have a list of bands um, that I've kind of drunkenly promised tours to, which is way, <laughs> way longer than my current list of planned tours. So, um, yeah. Yeah, the, 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 that was a question on, on later down on my list about huh. you know how you go about that. I mean, you 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 you're you're known for being very generous and supportive of your opening acts. Like last year, you took Pet Needs out on your fifty 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 tour, yeah. and yeah. Um, you know did a whole lot to get their career moving. Um, this year, you've got my friends from Ralph uh, playing in your Lost Evenings festival. Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, Which I'm you know, stoked about. Yeah. Well, I was going to I was going to say like I mean this is going to sound overly cynical, and I am mostly joking, but only <laughs> mostly not a hundred percent. Just like one <laughs> of the functions that Lost Evening serves is it enables me to throw a show to a lot of people who I. I've promised because uh-huh. i just i just 
Well, you put a few beers in me, and I'm like, yeah, dude, we'll make it happen, man. <laughs> you guys, we'll do it, man. Excellent. We'll go on tour together. And yeah, it's just we're a like couple that. beers away from him asking us to go on tour with them. Yeah, I mean, the problem is, is that I just, there aren't enough tours, basically, right. um, yes. to go around. And I mean, like, you know, there is, it's not, it's not quite as simple as like, it's not quite a blank slate in terms of who I choose to take on tour because there's considerations about you kind of, particularly uh, post-pandemic promoters are very keen on having like a draw as your main support kind of thing. Somebody's going to sell some extra tickets under their mm-hmm. own steam kind of thing. Um, uh, but, you know, and I do think about things like trying to kind of trying to make sure that we have some kind of not basically not just all white dudes with tattoos and beards and acoustic guitars um, <laughs> sure. across the bill, partly for the sake of diversity in itself. And partly because, I mean, I feel like that category is pretty covered by me. Mm-hmm. uh on on my bill do you know what i mean and sure, like it's just right. you know uh i don't ever i don't obviously therefore can't cast any special on it but it's like i i'm it's more interesting to me to have you know zyla Roo or bob dylan or or uh bob villain sorry bob yeah. dylan, bob, <laughs> bob, are you familiar with bob villain <laughs> yes yeah. indeed yes. yeah both so, of them you know yeah. dylan and villain <laughs> yeah so you know so like i mean that kind of thing is is more interesting to mm-hmm. me or truck stop honeymoon whoever it might be you know um that then it's kind of i feel slightly weird saying that because at the same time i kind of worry that there's a kind of younger version of me who's therefore not getting a support slot there because of that kind of dictum and that does uh, turn my head occasionally i don't know i do my best like i like to yeah. think it goes pretty well um yeah. in terms of like we've i've taken some cool people out on tour yes absolutely um uh talking about chicago uh i was reviewing your live archives and um Mm. um uh as best i can tell you've played chicago 28 times including one mingle hard show um and the the thing i was surprised with was how long it took you to actually get to chicago uh illinois was the 36th state that you played and they were let like me, hold on let me guess <laughs> i reckon i reckon my first ever show in chicago was in march 2010 um 2010 yes wow yeah i'm pretty sure it was the la- one of the last shows of the flogging molly tour and uh and it was this thing yes. that like it was never- march yeah that we, it was right at the beginning yeah. of march because yeah, yeah okay it, it, it was at the aragon it was, and I played solo at that show, having played full band for the rest of the tour, because uh-huh. the band flew home, and I played a solo show and then flew home, oh. and like got back. They did like pre-production without me because that was how the schedule worked. <laughs> uh-huh. It was insane. It was idiotic. Um, uh, anyway, I remember it was kind of a bit of a kind of a white whale thing for a while that we just didn't make Chicago for okay. for no good reason at all. Uh-huh. Um, for for a bunch of tours. Um, I mean, obviously, when you're sitting in the uk and you're beginning the business of attempting to kind of tackle the the united states i mean first of all it's enormous secondly there's an odd thing which is that suddenly because before you start thinking about going to america america's just kind of slightly amorphous and i remember as a kid like i knew for example that like steve albini was based in chicago and indeed there was a bunch Mm -hmm. of bands bunch of kind of post-rock bands like tortoise and and mm-hmm. that kind of stuff which Love was tortoise. chicago based but like it they i mean i did there was i just knew that as a kind of like f- fact it didn't mean anything to me i didn't know where chicago was relative to california or the east coast or texas or oklahoma or anything do you know what i mean right, it's just, right it was a trivia yeah. pub trivia kind of <laughs> fact that i'd attached to certain bands it was just a place yeah yeah and then you go over and you go oh chicago's here and it means this and it has this kind of cultural overtone and all the rest but um so you know you but i mean i guess what i'm trying to say is that i didn't necessarily get to dictate where i was playing shows in in in, at that period of time it was slightly you know hey this tour's going here and i'm like okay (laughs) yeah (laughs) i'm on on that tour i mean it's funny and a long a long time ago with million dead uh we didn't play birmingham for ages which is the second biggest city in the uk and uh and i felt like i had a similar deal with chicago in uh-huh. yeah uh, well and again for no reason i mean birmingham is, is precisely an hour and a half away from london on the train so they've right. got even less excuse <laughs> yes um but as it is you are playing riot fest next month in chicago yes. um yeah. I, I was surprised to see as far as i can tell this is only the second time you've played riot fest Yes, I think that's right. Yeah, we've definitely played it one other time. Yeah, in, uh, in 2012. Okay, um, yes, so, I'll take your word for it. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so, so, so that's cool. Um, 
what are any other memories about playing in Chicago? Uh, things oh, yeah. I mean, about- yeah. I mean, that, it, I was a late starter, but Chicago's uh-huh. become a very special place for me. Um, couple of things. I mean, I remember the, I remember we headlined at Aragon Ballroom in like 2018, 2019, somewhere mm-hmm. around there. Yes. Um, and that was, that sticks in my mind as one of my favorite shows yeah. I've ever played. Like uh, it was just... Menzinger's Lucero and, uh, yeah. and gospel choir, I think. Yeah. I think that was, yes, exactly. Oh yeah. And, and L- like... Lucero was only playing the new album, which was yeah, which funny. Was... <laughs> It, you know, I like, I mean, I fucking love those guys and there is no universe in which I would ever tell another band what to play. But uh-huh. I do remember being ever so slightly kind of like, God damn it, um, on that tour, because it was just yeah. a bit like, that's what you do at your headline tour. Right, dudes. right, right. You know what I mean? Uh, uh-huh. But God bless them. I mean, I have a Lucero tattoo and I'll be proud of it till the day I die. And I adore that <laughs> band. And, and indeed, that is in its way a terribly Lucero thing to do. So I should have. Yes. Yeah. But well, uh, but I just sorry. What what one of my favorite stories you told was was the the Lucera story about Ben walking into the dressing room when you guys were you know loosening oh, yeah. up. <laughs> oh, we were doing we were doing five minute long planks, which is a thing that we do before shows, um, which uh, which sucks. I might add, <laughs> um, but it's very good both for your back and for your voice. Uh-huh. Anyway, but so. Um, but yeah, Ben, uh, um, sorry, with, Lucero, with that show, sorry, in Chicago, like I just, I, it sticks in the mind. I mean, I regularly get asked, like, what's the best show you've ever played or what's your favorite show you've ever played? And it's a pretty redundant question to me because mm-hmm. I play so right. many shows. But like that one, that one sticks out in the memory. It's partly because of the show. It's also partly because I have family in Chicago and um, my uncle had recently passed away and my Chicago family had not been able to make it back for the funeral. So I had a, pretty emotional but pretty lovely uh evening after the show kind of filling my cousin in on how the funeral had been and everything so it's you know it was uh it sticks in the mind for that reason as well speaking of the other th- the other so i had this wonderful chicago trip many years ago i flew to chicago to meet butch walker it must have been in 2014 or 15 at a guess um 40 it must have been 14 i flew he was on tour with ryan adams i needed to meet him because we were talking about making a record together so i flew out to chicago for a weekend uh and we hung out and not only did we get on like a house on fire but it turned out that scott hutchison from Frank rabbit was playing a solo show at the metro in town oh, as well no ah so the three the me and butch went over to the metro and hung out with scott after his show so i've just got a wonderful set of photos somewhere of me and butch and scott just kind of shooting the shit at uh backstage of the metro we went and uh, i think we went to the g-man tavern in the end because of course we bloody did <laughs> you have um, to. yeah yes yeah you, yeah the you, G- i you love have, the g-man you... tavern but like christ alive that place is dangerous for me <laughs> uh yeah i was i was there last night no the night before um and the doorman was i i was wearing a frank turner shirt of course and uh, the doorman's <laughs> like oh I, frank's awesome i'm like oh you like him and he's like yeah um he he used to hang out upstairs. We played Yahtzee together. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's probably, I mean, like there, I've had some pretty kind of like demented lost weekends, both up, down and in the middle yeah. of yeah. the Gmail Tavern. Yeah. He, he did describe it that way. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, right. um, good times. Good yeah. times. But I'm probably not going to go too far into the details in the public. Yeah, no, probably best you not. You don't. It, it, uh, so another Chicago thing. Uh, obviously is is wilco people associate wilco sure. with chicago through and through um you had you wrote a book about songwriting and jeff wrote a book yeah. about songwriting um what about jeff's book did you like like how did did it was it different than how you approach songwriting like what was your your takeaway uh well i mean first of all his kind of structure and and overarching plan for the book was radically different from mine mm-hmm. um which i thought was really cool and really interesting like i sort of I basically attempted to use my existing catalog as examples. His mm-hmm. thing was much more kind of basically philosophical, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and and sort of the examples that he brought in from his own catalog were kind of after the fact, right? You know, they were the conclusion rather than sure. the yeah. starting point kind of thing, which I thought was, the, I mean, both work, you know, mm-hmm. uh, but right. it was really cool. He writes very well. He's a fantastic songwriter. So I really enjoyed reading it. I also thought it was really cool and really refreshing how, um, like 
how honest he was about like tips and tricks almost in a way do you know what i mean like a lot i think a lot more than i was just in the sense that it's like sometimes it's like sometimes you do write a song by starting playing somebody else's song and then changing it and changing it and changing it just enough that Uh it's not kind of liable you know Uh what i mean or or maybe not a whole song but a section you know what i mean and like i think everyone kind of does that on some level and like most of us pretend we don't and jeff (laughs) jeff was much more just like fucking steal something man yeah Um, right and then change it until you don't need to change it for the lawyers or whatever (laughs) but i mean i also thought yeah i mean yeah it was just it was a really he writes in a really um kind of welcoming way Mm -hmm. i guess i want to say do you know what i mean approachable yeah Yeah, generous kind of thing and um i and i just thought it was really lovely i really enjoyed reading it Awesome. Um, b- back in December, you tweeted a picture of yourself holding the book and I said, did. "Hey, hey, Jeff, uh, we should get together and write a song." I, I Any did. response? No, no response from that. God I mean, in fairness, the the thing about it is, like, I go out of my way not to kind of respond to, well, not to kind of read comments and shit on social media or tags or whatever because it's completely deleterious to my mental health. So, in many ways, right. I'm not. A, I'm, I'm almost kind of. Res- it, it's possible that if somebody did the same thing to me that I wouldn't notice. Uh-huh. Right, right. <laughs> so, uh, yes. so I'll give him a pass. Yeah. Well, nearly his whole family listens to the podcast, so I think after this, it's well. Happen. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, he's a fantastic songwriter, and and though we have so, yet to cross paths, he comes across but, as a nice dude. But the offer's still there. Oh yeah, definitely. Okay. 100%. All right. Well, we'll make yeah, this yeah. happen. Hell yeah. 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 It'll be fun. Um, I've got another uh, songwriting uh, question for you. Um, I was watching a 2004 um, a Bob Dylan did an interview with Ed Bradley on 60 Minutes, and he was uh-huh. talking about you know those great 1960s songs that he wrote, and he's and he was just basically saying there was some sort of magic that was happening then, and I was able to do that then, but I couldn't do that now. It, I I couldn't repeat it. So, you know how how, how do you feel about something like that? Um- well, first of all, I mean, I find it's interesting to hear Dylan say that because I do feel like, I mean, Dylan's unquestionably like he's the sort of like monolith of songwriting in the 20th century. I think, mm-hmm. I mean, I think it's slightly kind of facile to debate who's the best. Uh, I think on uh, pound for pound, I prefer Leonard Cohen personally, but like uh, that's mm-hmm. you. I mean, I love Bob Dylan's uh, a lot of Bob Dylan's songs. Mm-hmm. I think he's done a lot of different things with his songwriting, which I think is great. And in some ways, he was kind of he was the one kind of hewing the path as he went forward, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think there was a, a certain magic about his first kind of I want to say up to and maybe including Highway sixty one. There was a particular kind of feeling that he was uncovering something that had been there that was waiting to be discovered more than writing songs per se. Um, I mean, you know, he was engaging in a lot of kind of traditional idioms and melodies and indeed words here and there. And so there was a degree to which he was actually doing that. Sure. Um, but uh, but I mean, you know, I mean, those early records are just timeless um, for me. I mean, I guess, you know, writing has changed for me a mm-hmm. lot. Um, I think it should. I think, you know, the idea of it being a kind of static, repetitive process seems ill-advised to me. I mean, uh, I'm not sure it could be because, I mean, to sympathize with what Dylan's saying there, like, I can't really remember how I wrote songs for my first mm-hmm. couple of records. Um, because, I mean, and to be honest, I feel like that about all my songwriting. There is a degree to which it's a sleepwalker kind of activity. Um, but I mean, I, in the room that I'm sitting in right now, I've just finished tracking 15 songs that are going to, for my next record that'll be out next year. But we've finished recording. Wow. Uh, we haven't done, we're doing the back of vocals on Sunday. But other than that, we're done. Um, awesome. And, yeah, Congrats. and it's like, and but even now, I mean, I kind of this time more than some of the preceding times, I kind of sat down to write in a defined period of time. But a lot of that was kind of gathering together things from notebooks and snippets of recording off my phone and whatever else. And I can't really remember where it all came for, but I but I feel fucking stoked because I just wrote fifty songs and they're all like, <laughs> so they well, they're not all, but the majority of them are short, sharp fuck you punk rock songs and i mm-hmm. feel it seems unlikely to me that somebody in their early 40s making their 10th record would still be sure. still have 15 angry punk songs to write so i feel pretty right. good about that awesome um was do you think that structure of like prescribed times to sit down and write was was helpful to you outside of like what your normal process is i know like bob dylan does that but other people we talk to are like 
inspiration strikes and I sit down and do it, but I don't have like a defined time that I like, I'm not going to write music from nine to 10 AM. Yeah. I mean, I spend a lot of time thinking about this and partly that has to do with Nick Cave, who's one of my load stars in life. Um, and he's done a thing in recent years of treating writing as a job. He has an office mm-hmm. with a piano in it and he shows up at 9am. He works till lunchtime, takes an hour, does the afternoon. And that's how he mm-hmm. writes. Um, uh, and that's not how he always wrote in the, you know, um, and hey. a lot of it's to do with him being sober these days and all the rest. And I, f- I find that intriguing because I think that he's mm-hmm. a, an unadulted genius to be blunt. Mm-hmm. Um, so so, yeah, so, I mean, I, I have thought about doing that. I haven't quite got to that point as yet. I've done some writing sessions with other people uh, in my time, either helping other people write or writing uh, as a mm-hmm. collaborative. collaborative. That's the yeah. word I'm looking for. Thank you very much. <laughs> yep. um, but, uh, I mean, that's which is kind of fun and interesting, but it's not quite my comfort zone, should right. we say. Maybe sure. that's a good yeah. thing because I think that the last place any artist should really be is their comfort zone. Yeah. ultimately um and just yeah. wrote 15 kick-ass songs so like clearly the process worked <laughs> a little bit yeah definitely i mean it was it was like but essentially we had a tour at the end of last year where um we were the open we were the main support at on an arena tour of europe with the band called billy talent uh, a canadian band um mm-hmm. and i just had a lot of spare time and it i felt like i wanted to make another record so it was just like i set myself a task of like by the end of this tour i want to mm-hmm. have x num- x number of songs finished and I'm good with deadlines. I'll say that. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, and like right. something that I've learned. Because the other thing, I mean, without getting too deep into this, but like I finished my record contract um, with Universal Music recently. Um, didn't get dropped. Didn't anything like that. I completed the number of albums I signed for. They offered me an extension. And I told them to go fuck themselves and uh, <laughs> returned to being a fully independent artist again, which I'm really stoked about. But it is slightly different in the sense that I realized, and I kind of knew this was going to be the case, but I like I have to set my own deadlines and my own boundaries. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, I, and I have produced my own record on this new record that I've made as well. So like, again, it was a case of just kind of like, Thanks, to, no thanks sure well but 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 also then in the process like i mean i tracked my guitars for the record sitting where i'm sitting right now right um and like the on my own and like the first time i did it i did a song i like got it right in a few takes and i was like that doesn't feel like enough takes a producer would make me do more <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll do some more takes yeah just sitting here on my own yeah. just replaying guitar parts and and then going no i mean this is definitely right <laughs> yeah so um yeah. but yeah <laughs> Having 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 total uh, control over what happens is an exciting thing, but it's also kind of nerve wracking. Like, you know, yeah. how am I going to do this all? How do I well, do it? I can't after the event say, well, it's all so and so's fault that the record <laughs> right. right? You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So, um, <laughs> and I mean, I have, a friend of mine is mixing it, but I mean, he's the guy he mixing the Keep My Bones and Love Iron Song, and so he's the one we blame. Yeah, totally. It's all true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Totally. Cool. He hasn't even he hasn't even started yet because I haven't sent him the files. But like, let's blame him. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right. This sort of leads into my next question. Um, um, you know, you're somebody who prides yourself on relentless touring. Uh, you know, last year in the U.S. tour, you did 50 states in 50 days, uh, um, 50 shows. Um, this year, you've got the never-ending tour of everywhere 2023. Um, but and I mean this in the best way. You're now in your 40s. You got <laughs> married not too long ago. A bunch of your the the Sleeping Souls, fabulous band. Um, a bunch of them have little kids. Um, yeah. What does it look forward look look like as you move forward here? Well, it's an interesting uh, moment to ask that question. Essentially, before 2020 and the the great pandemic uh, and all the rest, like we had actually kind of eased off the gas a little bit, but just in a way that we've managed to disguise from people mm-hmm. um but you know i got married in 2019 and jess and i sort of have a principle of four weeks before we see each other one way or another kind of thing like maximum of four mm-hmm. weeks before we either i go home or she comes out to join us for a bit or whatever um and yeah people have kids now in the band and in the crew as well um and i also i mean a major part of it is that like i want to do this for the rest of my life and i'm aware right that it's a marathon not a sprint and that you know I've now lived through the process of my thirties and things getting harder as they go along. And I imagine that that will continue. (laughs) Um, And uh, so, yeah, we are trying, you know, and I, one of the major things is my voice actually, you know, I have to just sort of like, 
I had some vocal coaching again in the last couple of years just to kind of like maintain kind of thing and you know, mm-hmm. the physicality of it changes quite a lot. So, you know, there, there I am thinking about all this kind of stuff. Um in you know, then my job got made illegal for 2 years. Um mm-hmm. and that sucked a lot. And uh this year specifically has been pretty insane because like um the music industry went through a phase of not booking as far out as it used to. Uh, mm-hmm. And I wasn't quite kind of cognizant of the fact that people were working six months out rather than a year out. Mm-hmm. And I had a bit of a stress at the end of the last year about not having enough stuff in the diary. And I chased everything. And then it all came in. And I basically, <laughs> um, I'm going to be on tour for about nine and a half months in title uh-huh. in 2023, which is oh more than I want and which is too much. Okay. Um, what's, so, the, what's the right balance there? In your uh, ideal I mean, state, I, are you like six, half six, on, half off? Yeah, generally yeah. speaking. I mean, at this point, I mean that. Fuck me, that wasn't always the case. I, my longest, <laughs> my longest stretch without stopping was thirteen months, um, oh which was, uh, yeah. Through, I mean, you yeah. know, we stopped for Christmas, but briefly. Um, and I and indeed, I didn't go home that Christmas. I went to Colorado instead because, anyway, long story. Uh, um, but you know, we, none of us really want to do that anymore. Uh, none of us, sure. and I'm not sure we don't have to do it anymore, and I'm not sure we could do it anymore. Um, you know, but uh, having on the flip side of all this is that I have a new record coming out, and I have a new record label to work with internationally, and um, I'm really excited about the fact that we're planning on kind of uh expanding my international remit for this next record and going further afield, and that's really fucking cool. And I want to tour it hard. Do you have like a uh? a dream location of a place that you haven't played yet anywhere in the world. South America and Japan. Okay. All right. Uh, Those are, those are my two like white whales. Frank and the Budokan, right? Yeah. I mean, I want to play everywhere to be blunt. Um, But the two kind of like notable gaps in my resume are Japan and South America. Mm -hmm. And there are, we have to be uh, the saddest thing is we had my first South American tour was booked for April, 2020. No. Oh, wow. Yeah, and like, and it, and it was selling well, and I was uh, stoked about the tour, and la la la, and uh, that went the way. Okay, we all know it went. Um, so we and and putting that back together again has been tough, but yeah, there are irons in the fire. Uh huh. Okay. Um, another thing that's happening in September is Lost Evenings in Anaheim, California. Yes. This is Lost Evening Six. Um things sold out almost immediately which is yeah. awesome for you um I'm, I'm sure that's a huge financial relief it is i mean i am slightly uh how deep into the weeds am i going this i was a little like i think that we could play somewhere a little bigger this year okay. and because we're still in a post-pandemic world and people were mm-hmm. a little everybody in my organization has you know been trying to be a little bit risk averse as a result because we got we all got punched in the dick for two years um yeah, right uh like so but but there is a i'm very pleased that it went well um i'm extremely i'm extremely stoked about it full stop and that we can do this in california the thing that is most exciting to me about this last evenings is three little words which are pedro the lion um <laughs> yeah i am, I <laughs> yeah, am very point. calmly of the opinion that dave bazan's the greatest living songwriter Wow. Um, and Statement. uh, I like it, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll, 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 and I'll arm wrestle anyone, you'll fight anybody, just, yeah. Bring I'll take it, yeah, bring it on, Fuck yeah. Um, but uh, and I, and we've never met, and uh, and I'm wow. a huge appreciator of his work, and I'm gonna have to really like give myself a little talking to before <laughs> uh, we cross paths, keep because, yourself in check, yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's my, whole, it's my whole band and crew as well, which is quite nice because uh-huh. quite often in my organization, there's stuff that I love that nobody else cares about at all yeah um, right. uh because not least you know a lot of the, my music taste tends to be a bit heavier than the music that i actually play mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and like the guys in my band don't give a fuck about napalm death or whatever kind of <laughs> right. thing well that's to, their to, loss yeah t- totally. <laughs> but but this is a this is a rare example of of me being like pedro the lion and everyone's like oh my god pedro the lion <laughs> um so uh so we're pretty we're all pretty stoked about that but it's it's cool we are uh, we have plans afoot for 2024 and i'm not going to tell you what they are i hear great things about chicago just saying i I was gonna say any chance chicago somewhere down the line oh yeah one day absolutely okay a hundred percent i mean let me say this like i mean what it's this isn't 2024 we are kind of working on doing one in the uk that isn't in london 
mm-hmm. because as much as I love London and it's my home city and always will be, I think there's something really kind of cool about not doing the obvious sure, kind of yeah. oxygen sucking city, hey. if you know what I mean. And I think hey. doing a lost evenings, you know, we've done Boston and we've done, we will have done LA quite soon. Chicago would be super cool, but not next year. Yeah. Um, I just mean, ju- got it. Just to kind of discuss the whole logistics of putting on something like Lost Evenings. I mean, all the planning, of course, you're already working on 2024, you know, Um, so all the planning that goes into it. I mean, you're a hands on kind of guy, so you have to be involved in many, many, many of the decisions. I know you have a great crew. But, yeah, I mean, uh, decisions is the right word. Yeah. The, the ex- executing of said decisions right. tends not to be my problem. Yeah. And yeah. um you know, essentially, I just sit around coming up with wild ideas, and Tree <laughs> and Free and Nick and Charlie all roll their eyes and go, "For God's sake!" Uh, and then, yeah. and then they make it happen. Uh-huh. And we tend to have, um, you know, partners on the ground when we do it overseas. Yeah. Um, you know, which tends to be our whoever, whichever promoter we work with right. in that territory or whatever. So, um, yeah, uh, it's exciting. You know, people. What's really cool about this one is that Kelly, who did Boston, is also doing Anaheim, and therefore she knows how it goes. Um, yeah. With every, with each one, there's quite often there's a bit of a thing before people have been to a Lost Evenings. They're like, "What is this thing? I don't really get it." Mm-hmm. Um, and it's really cool this time around. We've got somebody who's not only put on been to a Lost Evenings, they put on a Lost Evenings before, is organizing this one, and they're just Excellent. like, "I fucking get it." So <laughs> um, it's going to be a really good one. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm excited about Pedro Line. I'm excited about the whole bill. There's some amazing acts across the whole thing. Yeah. Um Tree said that the that the location is awesome. Like everything is all together. And, oh yeah. It's yeah. self-contained, um, yeah. which is really, really cool. Yeah. I mean, that is, you know, that is a big part of it, is trying to find the right mm-hmm. space, the right yeah. building to put it sure. in. Um but yeah, I'm excited about it. I mean, it's cool. funny, like I uh there's definitely it's it's kind of the most exhausted I am in any given year. And yes. it, it, it's generally lost evenings. I was chatting to somebody about this the other day. They were like, hey, man, I haven't seen ages and come to lost evenings. We'll hang out. And I'm like, no, we fucking won't. <laughs> exactly. Dude, like, yes. like that is that you have picked the wrong weekend right. for me to be sociable. And I tend to do quite a lot of kind of getting back to a hotel room at the end of the night and just yes. like collapsing. Yeah. And, um, and Jess does a fantastic job of kind of like, keeping people away yeah well and just getting me to kind of like calm down right you know drink water occasionally and things like that but uh but it's uh it's really cool it's fun i i I remember at the at the end of lost evenings in boston um we were walking past and you were outside with just a towel draped over your head and you just kind (laughs) of waved tiredly and uh and and went back to your hotel so I, you know I, it, it's it's funny you should mention that actually as well two things first of all like the great innovation of this year's lost evenings is that we're not doing anything immediately after it we finally six of the fuckers yeah, in right i've learned that after lost evenings we should all go home and not talk to each <laughs> other for a little bit yeah. like last year we did lost evenings in berlin and the uk tour started two days later and i can't really remember the first few days of that tour because i felt like i was tripping balls it was, mm-hmm. it was dumb yeah it was profoundly dumb so this time we go home the second thing i was going to mention actually is um i uh, there's a song on fdac called punches that i wrote that evening after boston the end of boston wow i just felt i just felt like i had there were some parts of 2019 that were rough in terms of the inter- the internet and you know monstering and all that sort of mm-hmm. bullshit. Yeah, and uh, I remember that at the last night of both last evenings, the whole crowd did ballad on the end of the last night, and that was pretty cool. And yeah. um, and I remember thinking, well, you know, some days I can be, I can look in the mirror and be like, you did something right. today. Yeah, and that That's- was that, and that turned into a song. It, which is interesting because because I I think that song kind of has like a Boston feel to it. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah, yeah, definitely. yeah. <laughs> um, what well, to 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 but, but just to jump in on that very very briefly, by the way, like yeah. as you know, I was saying earlier about being now being able to differentiate between two different parts of America. Now that I have been to America many many times, yeah. Um, uh, when I was a kid, I was aware that Boston, I, I had the Boston, this is Boston, not LA hardcore compilation from mm-hmm. 81 mm-hmm. or whatever the fuck it is. And I was sort of familiar with like Alba Real and SSD control versus Black Flag, or whatever, but it was all pretty academic. But I remember like, the, 
I remember just not really believing that the Boston accent was serious. <laughs> like <laughs> I remember like hearing kind of like Alba Real talk and then also watching The Departed. And I remember watching The Departed and just thinking that like Matt Damon was just doing a really bad accent. Like yeah. he was getting it wrong. Right. Do you know what I mean? It's like there's no yeah. fucking way anybody actually talks like you're that. Like, you're like, everyone else is okay with this? I don't understand. Yeah, it's a bit it was a bit like he was doing a kind of like um Dick Van Dyke in, in Mary Poppins, where yeah. he famously does the single worst <laughs> right. British exactly. accent anyone's ever yes. done ever. And it was like he's just doing a bad Boston accent. And it I now know <laughs> that he was actually doing a pretty good Boston accent. Uh-huh. And it was, I was like, Ka-ha-ha-ba! and all that sort of business. And it was yes. like, fucking hell. Anyway, so I learned something. Anyway. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> um, we we t- just talked sort of a little bit about the concept, but um, you you definitely go out of your way to personally connect with, with the fans, you know, answering your own emails, hanging out after most shows. Um, um, you know, why do you think those kind of things are important f- for, for Frank Turner? Uh, I mean, there's, well, it's interesting that you asked me that question at this juncture in my career, because like, at base, I mean, where to begin? Like, uh, mm-hmm. the thing that attracted me about underground hardcore punk when I was a kid was the, the fact that it was iconoclastic and it was egalitarian and there wasn't a divide between performers and audience. And having been to some bigger shows as a kid, I then went to see, you know, a bunch of hardcore shows and the support, the next band on got out of the crowd and the band who'd just been on climbed mm-hmm. over the barrier, if mm-hmm. there even was a barrier. Right. And it was just this idea that music was a conversation amongst a community rather than a diktat being issued by one class of people to another one. Uh, and that was both politically and socially and artistically galvanizing to me. And I thought it was super cool and super interesting. And I've sort of always like in the band, every band I've toured with sort of there's that's kind of been lurking in the DNA as a result. And, you know, in my early days of touring solo, there was fuck all no one at the shows. So be like <laughs> kind of hiding in the dressing room. And when you've just played to four people, <laughs> like get over yourself. And then, yeah. you know, early do- doors, I sold my own merch a lot of the time right. um, because I couldn't afford to take a merch person with me. And it was all very, you know, if you're touring on your own, it's just you. And I, I used to burn demo CDs and my laptop on the train and then right. sell them at the gigs, you know. Um, and it was cool as well. It was nice to chat to people and you made connections and it kept you grounded and interested. And I guess somewhere in the middle of it all, there's this idea of kind of normality and this idea of just wanting to be kind of on a level. Totally. Um, having said all that, I mean, like you do then reach a point where it's not particularly normal to go and hang out for two hours and chat right. to the people who've just been at a massive theater show, arena show or whatever. Right. I mean, it's also, it's physically exhausting and it's right. ruined. It wrecks your voice. And, also, you know, it's just a bit like you reach a point and it, this is a thing I've spent a lot of time thinking about. And I know nobody else cares, but like I do. But it's like, you know, which is more integral to go and talk, try and talk to 4,000 people who just came to see you in Manchester or to spend your evening hanging out with the people who came, you know, the people whose floor you used to sleep on when you played Manchester who were on the guest list for the show. Do you know what I mean? Mm, Like, because if you don't, if you if you do go and sign 4,000 people, you ain't fucking socializing with anybody else. Do you know what I mean? Um, And also, like, it took me years to admit to myself or to Tree or to anybody else that it was okay for me to have a night where it's like, I'm really fucking tired and I need to go to bed. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just sort of refused to allow that to be an option for such a long time. Um, And it was particularly touring in 2021 when things were still quite COVID-y. At the end of that year, we did an American run. And, like, Tree, Tree was like, you are not allowed to socialize with the crowd. Like it was all very mm-hmm. but COVID bubble kind of yeah. shit going yeah. on. And like, so me and Matt had, because it was duo tour, we'd sort of run off stage and onto the bus. And because it was only two of us on this bus, we had loads of space on the bus. We had a shower <laughs> on the bus as well. And it was, and suddenly it was like, I'd run off stage, jump in a shower and then be in like my fucking PJs with a glass of wine 20 minutes after the show, uh-huh. hanging out with Doug and Tree and Matt. And it was like, oh, this is kind of incredible. Like, <laughs> like this is this is a lot of fun. And it's uh-huh. not because I I don't want to hang out with anybody, but it was just like, it was a lot more kind of like sustainable, I guess would be the word as, sure. a, as a Tory thing. Totally. So these days, I mean, I still, I, what I don't do and, and Touchwood will never do is like VIP meet and greet type shit. And yeah. To be blunt, I actually financially spite myself a fair bit by saying that in the mm-hmm. sense that, that you a lot of bands make a lot of money doing that shit. It's your punk but rock it, ethos. 
just it just turns my stomach a bit personally. I I don't I don't want to I don't want to cast aspersions on other people who are sure. comfortable doing it. Right. Whatever you want to do. But personally, it's just like I'll hang out if I feel like hanging out. I'm never ever gonna charge somebody money to shake my hand. Fuck mm-hmm. off, man. Like yeah. if and and not least because it's like that means that if we cross paths with each other, it's gonna be honest. And also if I don't wanna do it, then I'm not letting anyone down. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's yeah. like and more yeah. often than not, I will kind of wander around and I don't run and hide at the limo or dive through a fucking hotel window and I don't have a security guard <laughs> right. and blah, 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 blah. You know, I'll say hi if I feel like saying hi and and more often than not, I do. But like, you know, I do think there's a kind of weird, there's a lot, all that kind of commodification of that side of things has got pretty out of control. And it's kind of, there is a kind of weird, particularly I feel post pandemic, there's been a kind of, what I like to think of as entitlement culture in kind of mm-hmm. music fandoms got pretty nuts. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, you know, my email address is still on my website and it always will be, but like particularly post, yeah, post the lockdowns and stuff, people are like, hey man, I'm coming to your show. Could you play the follow eight, following 18 songs, please? Right, right. And I'm like, well, I might play one or two. And they're like, well, no, no, I want you to play 18. Like, they'll argue back. And I'm like, uh-huh. you know, there's oh, like 2,000 other people come to shoot. I get people right. being like, yeah, cool. I'm just going to jump up and play this song with you. Yeah, cool. Glad that you're okay. We'll sing yeah. this song. Hard and pass. It's like, Hard pass. it's like, I don't think the other people paid to see that. Right. Um, yeah. I don't think yep. I want you to do that. And people right. get fucking offended by it and it's like yeah so you know like i don't know i've been to i think it's part of the business of being an artist in the 21st century that you have to find ways to navigate this but so one of the examples is like i don't have cameo but what i do do is i make videos for weddings and Uh birthdays and shit as a charity thing and cool it it takes a it takes an hour of my day on average because i do fucking loads of them but uh (laughs) but it makes people happy and it raises money for good cause so yes love that yeah thank you and you did it for my buddy Barry, and I have to say he's a hundred percent cancer free right now, which is oh, awesome. Yeah. So yeah. yes, Barry. Yeah. Way to go. Very Barry. pleased to hear um, that. I want to make one point before we get to a couple of Chicago questions. We're we're gonna be wrapping sure. this up. But being from England, you're rightfully very particular about the English language. And I understand that because <laughs> we, we call it English for a reason, right? Yeah. So because it's on loan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> vitamin, vitamin, herbs, yeah, yeah. herbs, capo, capo. I'm I'm all yeah. cool with all that, right? But right. I got a point to make here. Okay. Town Towns Van Zant wrote a song called Poncho and Lefty. And sure. and Willie Nelson and Jason Isbell sang a song called Poncho and Lefty. On the other hand, you sing a song called Pancho and Lefty. It's Poncho. Pancho. Well, but the well, okay. But the problem with that is that in an English accent, pan, pancho. I mean, it sounds. <laughs> it just sounds really weird and awkward. <laughs> um, and there, there is a you. Got, we have different differing vowel sounds. Yeah, it's like the whole thing that like a porn shop and a porn website uh-huh. in English are homonyms. <laughs> okay. Whereas you guys would say pan and porn, right? Okay. Yes, yeah. exactly. And, yeah. and there's there's a rich <laughs> rich seam of stand up comedy here. If anybody wants to jump on that, uh-huh. but um, uh, but like you know, so there are there, just pancho. Doesn't really work in as an English word. It's Pancho. It it doesn't. It just sounds wrong. <laughs> sounds wrong. I like. Okay. I mean, in some of the covers that I've done, I've kind of changed an eight to an isn't and stuff uh-huh. like that. And there are purists who can complain about that. And it's like it's just I would never say ain't. Okay. Like never. Well, in the, a million they'll, years. they'll offer to get on stage and play it with you. So that's <laughs> well, well, yeah, more often than not, yeah. yeah. But I mean, like, I, that's there's somewhere in there. There's a thing about like I've always attempted to kind of have some sort of like fidelity to how I talk and the way that I sing, and like, you know, there are just okay. certain things that you just never fucking say as a true born Englishman. Gotcha. Not that I was born in England, <laughs> but anyway. All right, <laughs> M- M- Mark's going to ask our real quick uh, Chicago questions. Far and, away, uh, and get you on your way. Uh, so Chicago is known for deep dish pizza and we also have thin crust are you a deep dish or thin crust pizza fan i'm a deep dish guy when i'm in chicago okay, okay. i like yeah. it right. uh, and, and that's sh- one of the joys that's one of the joys you're like i'm in chicago right. i'll have deep dish yeah right. hell yeah i agree with you yeah. uh favorite venue to play at in chicago uh i mean i mean fuck it's a lot of good <laughs> venues in chicago yes um, i mean 
the, I've always had a good time playing in the G-Man Tavern, which I've done two or three times now. So it's not, it's not, uh, it's barely even a venue. Like I've played in the right. doorway in the past, but fuck it. <laughs> yeah. we'll say the G-Man. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Love the G-Man. Uh, what to you, we have two last questions. One is what do you make Chicago a unique music scene? Uh, I that's oh wow okay I'll try and do this quickly I mean in a way that I kind of have never quite fully successfully verbalized but I feel there's a kind of um Chura's definitely its own thing musically it has a kind of slightly acerbic kind of intellectual kind of vibe to it I, mm-hmm. when I think of Chicago I mainly think of Steve Albini but you know I'll also think of Out Three or whatever as well there's a sort of slightly kind of like it's smart do you know what i mean mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. it's it's it, and it's kind of it's quite pr- bristly and prickly in the way that i love do you know what i mean yeah but mm-hmm. you know if i if you say steve albini tortoise and alk three it's like what do those three have in common it's like i think kind of being <laughs> book smart is part of it. Yeah. yeah 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 interesting it's a good connective connective yeah. tissue there um our last question is what is your go-to cheap drink like i'm a huge fan of of high life in the bottle uh right do you what's well, your, your go-to i like drink? i like and, and not just cheap i like cheap fizzy american beer it's yes, my favorite okay. beer i yeah. drink a bud light a miller light cause light any of that lot and yes. everybody all my friends particularly my english friends roll their eyes and sort of <laughs> yak on yawn on about fucking craft pale ales or some shit uh-huh <laughs> But at the minute, like all my all my English friends drinking Doom Bar at the minute, it's like nine percent. You drink two of them and you're fucked. Right, and yeah. it's like I can drink Bud Light all day. A distant uh, beer for sure. Yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? And it's refreshing, and I don't yes. fucking care. And like I don't know, I'm sounding defensive at this point, but I just get endlessly <laughs> bombarded by people sort of ordering me to have a more kind of like developed palate when it comes to beer, and I don't give a fuck. Um, I like cheap light American beer. All right. Oh, yeah. That's awesome. Um, yeah. We appreciate it. I think we maybe went, went one minute over, but oh, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Um, thanks so much, Frank. Um, we will be seeing you soon. I'm going to yeah. pause this recording. Thanks so much for listening today. We are no wristbands. We drink for free. Music, of course, has been provided by Merlin Wall. Please check them out on Spotify or on Bandcamp. Please also subscribe to our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter at No Wristbands and check out our website at noriskbands.com. 